Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast in the world. Talking about book two, chapter 40, Louise coming into bat for Julian. Wow. Swims to the mother. She said, oh, wow, this line. How strange all the time, all the same, that I never learned the art of enjoying life until I could see its end closing in on me. Don't be like Julian, people. While Monsieur de Renal is now a liberal, there must have been plenty of goings-ons that we are not privy to. Bravo to Louise. The letter is true to her character. Star 415 said, Yes, de Renal switched allegiance with Valinod and 36 jurors. What can they have? How can they have a discussion? 36 jurors does seem like a lot. Um, I suppose maybe they don't have to be unanimous like they do in the current sort of jural... Because at the moment, everyone has to vote the same, right? In a jury? I don't really know. I think that's just what I'm led to believe by TV shows, so I'm probably way off. Laura Weistich says, I like the whole manipulation of the jury. These last few chapters heard a lot about corruption and wealth. I'm starting to feel like this trial might... Like he might actually, you know, get off the hook from this. Just from his connections and his wealth. And also... um. Louise's mention of his ability to memorize the Bible in her letter. Um, I had this thought, I'm like, this would almost be too goofy. This is like something from a freaking Will Ferrell movie or something. But if they were like, <laughs> the same way he's won over so many people at various dinner parties by them saying, finish this page. And then they read like the first line of the Bible and then he finishes the rest of the page perfectly. I'm like them getting him to do that during the trial to prove that he's, you know, pious or whatever, and then that getting him off the hook. I'm like, I almost saw that happening. I'm like, it's far too comedic, but I wouldn't put it past Julian for something like that to happen. Altreet said, Madame de Renal's letter reads, in part, the frightful idea that because of me an innocent man has been consigned to death, what poison would poison the rest of my life? But it's not because of her, it's because of him. He's not innocent, he totally did it and had plenty of time to think about what he was doing. Julian has such a weird sway over people. Yeah, I know. She's just got this, like, uh, bleeding heart for the for the man. He can do no wrong in her eyes. Uh, but it's not because of her, it's because of him. Oh, I read that bit. She also writes, Yet two or three times a year he was taken over by fits of melancholy that approached aberration. There is not much danger in the wound caused by one of those wild moments that even my children notice in their tutor. This is somewhat curious to me. We know Julian to be at times quite emotionally volatile, high-minded, entitled, idealistic, hypocritical, extremely melancholy, elated, etc. Because we've been inside his head this whole time, I was under the impression that he mostly did this from other, hid this from others. I know he bargained for raises, and he did some power play stuff with Monsieur de Renal, but wild fits. Do I have a bad memory, or have we not had any account of these outbursts? Yeah, I mean, we saw him do crazy things with Matilda, um, and I think his volatility, I mean, he, he lived with the Dirinals for a few years, didn't he? So it started to seem to me like he's got some kind of a recurring depression. Um, maybe I don't, doesn't seem really like manic, uh, bipolar, as they say now. Um, doesn't really seem like bipolar, but a lot of mental illness, things like that, like different forms of depression or whatever, they go in waves, they go kind of on and off. Um, so, yeah, it's starting to make me feel like it's noticeable, whatever this narcissistic personality disorder or whatever it is he has, uh, it goes in waves like that. 
Um, chapter 20, 20, chapter 41 is called The Trial. The district remembered this celebrated trial for a long time. The feeling running in favour of the accused almost resulted in a civil disturbance, for his crime was sensational, yet it was not atrocious, even if it had been the young man who was so handsome, his high career. So quickly brought to the end, further excited tender feeling, will they condemn him? The women asked the men of their acquaintance, and one saw them turn pale as they waited for the answer. St. Beeve. At last, the day so much dreaded by Madame de Renal and Matilda arrived. The unusual look of the town increased their dread, and not even Fuchs' stolid soul was left quite unmoved. The whole province had flocked to Bezacon to witness the trial of this romantic cause. For several days there had been no room at the inns. Monsieur de President of the Assises had been overwhelmed by demands for tickets. All the ladies in the town wished to be there at the judgment. Julian's portrait was hawked up and down the streets, etc., etc. For this supreme moment, Matilda was holding in reserve a letter written entirely in the hand of Monsieur the Bishop of Dash. This prelate, who ruled over the church in France and appointed bishops, had condescended to request Julian's acquittal the day before the trial. Matilda handed this letter to the all-powerful vicar general. At the end of their interview, as she was leaving, dissolved in tears, Monsieur de Filier, emerging from his diplomatic reserve at last and almost moved himself, told her, I can answer for the jury's verdict. Among the twelve charged was examining your protégé's crime, and above all, whether there was premeditation, I can count on six who are devoted to my cause, and I will make it clear to them that my translation to a bishopric depends on them. Baron Valenod, whom I created mayor of Verriers, controls two of his assistant administrators, Monsieurs de Roynard and de Cholin, completely. As it happens, fate has given us two very unsound jurors in this affair, but even though they are ultra-liberals, they are faithful to my orders in important matters, and I have sent to ask them to vote with Monsieur Valenod. I am assured that a sixth juror, an immensely rich manufacturer and a loud-mouthed liberal, secretly covets a contract with the Ministry of War, and he certainly would not want to displease me. I have let him know that Monsieur Valenod has received my final word. And who is this Monsieur Valenod? asked Matilda uneasily. If you knew him, you would have no doubt of our success. He is a bold talker, impudent, coarse, made of, to lead fools. In 1814, I plucked him from the gutter, and I shall make him a prefect. He is capable of having the other jurors beaten up if they don't vote along with him. Matilda was somewhat reassured. That evening, another discussion awaited her to avoid prolonging a disagreement agreeable occasion whose outcome was in his eyes certain, Julian had resolved not to make a speech. My lawyer will speak. That's quite sufficient, he told Matilda. As it is, I will be exposed as a show to all my enemies for far too long. These provincials have been shocked at the rapid rise to fortune that I owe to you, and believe me, there's not a lot that what, that doesn't want me condemned. Reserving to themselves the right to cry like boobies when I'm led off to my death. They want to see you humbled, that's all too true, replied Matilda, but I don't believe they are cruel. My presence in Bezacon and the spectacle of my grief, grief has intrigued all the women. Your handsome face will do the rest. If you say but a single word in front of the judges, the whole courtroom will be behind you, etc., etc. Next morning at nine o'clock, when Julian had come down from his prison to go to the great hall of the Palais de Justice, it was 
Only with great difficulty that the gendarmes managed to clear a way through the immense crowd packed into the courtyard. Julian had slept well, he was very calm, and nothing felt but a kind of philosophical pity for his envious mob who, without being cruel, were shortly to applaud his sentence of death. He was greatly surprised when, held up more than a quarter of an hour in the middle of the crowd, he was forced to recognise that his presence inspired the public with a tender compassion. He heard not a single unpleasant remark. These provincials, he said to himself, are less spiteful than I thought. On entering the hall of the court, he was struck by the elegance of its architecture. It was pure Gothic, and a multitude of little columns had been cut into the stone with the greatest care. He might have been in England. But soon all his attention was taken by twelve or fifteen pretty women who, seated opposite the accused dock, filled the three balconies above the examining magistrate and jurors. Turning towards the crowd, he saw that the circular gallery dominating the amphitheatre was full of women. Most of them were young, and seemed to him extremely pretty. Their eyes were shining, full of concern. In the rest of the hall, the crowd was vast, people were struggling at the doors, and the guards were unable to impose silence. When all the eyes searching for Julian became aware of his presence, seeing him come into the slightly raised position reserved for the accused, he was greeted with a murmur of surprise and compassionate interest. One would have thought him no more than twenty that day. He was very simply dressed, but with a perfect grace, his hair and his brow were charming. Matilda herself had insisted on presiding over his toilet. Julian's pallor was extreme. Hardly was he seated in his dock when he heard all around him, Gracious, how young he is, but he's no more than a child, so much better looking than his portrait. Hey, my prisoner, said the gendarme, seated on his right, do you see those six ladies in, up in the balcony? The gendarme pointed out at the little gallery jutting into the amphitheatre over the jurors' places. There's Madame the Prefect's wife, and next to her he went on, Madame Le Marquise de N. Dash, who is a good friend to you. I overheard her talking to the examining magistrate after the Madame de Ville. Madame de Ville, cried Julian, a livid, lively flush colouring his brow. When she leaves here, he thought, he, she will write to Madame de Renal. He was unaware of Madame de Renal's arrival in Besicon. The witnesses were heard very quickly at the first words of the public prosecutor's opening speech. Two of the ladies seated in the little balcony dissolved in tears. Madame Derville would be far from softening like that, thought Julian. Yet he saw that she was very flushed. The public prosecutor was creating an effect of pathos in bad French on the subject of the barbarity of the crime that had been committed. Julian saw that Madame Derville's neighbours seemed to disapprove strongly of this. Several jurors, apparently acquaintances of these ladies, were speaking to them and appeared to be reassuring them. That cannot be, but be a good omen, he thought. Up to that point, he felt himself pervaded with unqualified contempt for all the men taking part in the trial. The public prosecutor's banal eloquence had increased his, this final feeling of distaste. But gradually, his soul's barren reserve disappeared before the marks of concern so clearly shown for him. He was pleased by this counsel's firm demeanour. Now, no phrase-making, he muttered to him as he was about to speak. All those cadences pilfered from Bossuet and used against you have actually worked in your favour, replied the counsel. In fact, he himself had scarcely been speaking for five minutes when almost all the ladies had their handkerchiefs in their hands. Encouraged, the, the counsel addressed the jury in strong terms. Julian trembled. He felt himself on the point of tears. Great God, what would my enemies say? He was about to give away to the softened mood gaining on him when, happily for him, he happened to catch an impudent glance from Monsieur Le Baron de Valenod. That bastard's eyes are all lit up, he said to himself. What triumph in that low soul, even if my crime had led to nothing but only that. 
I would curse it. God knows what he will say about me to Madame de Renal. The idea obliterated everything else. Shortly afterwards, Julian was recalled to himself by signs of approval from the public. The lawyer was bringing his plea to an end. Julian remembered that it was the accepted thing to shake his hand. Time had sped by. Refreshments were brought for the counsel and the accused. It was only then that Julian was struck by a singular phenomenon. None of the women had left the hearing to go to dinner. My word, I'm dying of hunger, remarked the counsel. And you? Yes, me too, answered Julian. Look, there's the prefect's lady being served her dinner, too, said the counsel, indicating the little balcony. Keep your spirits up. All is going well. The hearing recommenced. As the president made his summing up, midnight sounded. The president was obliged to pause in the midst of the tense general silence. The reverberations of the clock chimes filled the hall. Here it is, the beginning of my last day, thought Julian. Soon he felt himself fired by the idea of duty. Up until then he had controlled his feelings and kept to his resolve to say nothing, but when the president of the Aziz asked him if he had anything to add, he rose to his feet. He gazed at Madame de Verville's eyes, which amidst the lights in front of him seemed to glitter. Can she by any chance be crying, he wondered. Gentlemen of the jury, my horror of contempt, which I thought I could defy at the moment of my death, now forces me to speak. Messieurs, I do not have the honour to belong to your class. You see in me a peasant who is in rebellion against the baseness of his lot. I ask no mercy of you, continued Julian, his voice becoming firmer. I am under no illusion. Death awaits me. It will be a just death. I attempted to shorten the days of a woman who is most worthy of all respect of my all homage. Madame de Renal had acted like a mother to me. My crime is atrocious, and it was premeditated. Therefore I deserve death, gentlemen of the jury. But even were I less guilty, I now see around me men who, without pausing to think what pity my youth might deserve, will want to punish me, and so discourage forever that, la- that class of young men who born into an inferior class in one way or another oppressed by poverty have the good luck to obtain a good education and the audacity to mix in what the arrogance of rich calls society that is my crime messieurs and it will be punished with all the more severity in that when it comes to it i am not being judged by my peers i see there on the jury's benches no peasant has had has done well but only indignant bourgeois julian went on in this vein for 20 minutes He said everything he had in his heart. The public prosecutor, who had hopes of winning aristocratic favour, was springing up and down in his seat. But despite the somewhat abstract turn that Julian had given to the debate, all the women were melted in tears. Madame Deville herself had her handkerchief at her eyes. Before closing, Julian returned to the question of premeditation, to his repentance, to the respect, the boundless filial devotion that in happier times he had entertained for Madame de Renal. Madame Derville let out a cry and fainted. One o'clock chimed, and the jurors retired to their room. None of the women had left her place. Many of the men had tears in their eyes. At first there were the liveliest discussions, but little by little the jury's decision being awaited for a long period a general fatigue began to diffuse some calm into the assembly. It was a solemn time. The lamps shone less brightly. Julian, who was extremely tired, overheard arguments on the question of whether this delay was a good or bad sign. He noted with pleasure that everyone spoke in his favour. The jury still did not return, yet not a single woman left the hall. Just as two o'clock was chiming, a great stir was heard. The small door to the juror's room opened. Monsieur le Baron de Valenod came in with a grave and theatrical step, followed by the rest of the jurors. He coughed 
then declared that on his soul and conscience the unanimous verdict of the jury was that Julian Sorrell was guilty of murder and of murder with premeditation. This verdict entailed the death penalty. It was pronounced a moment later. Julian looked at his watch, reminding himself of Monsieur de Lavalette. It was a quarter past two. Today is Friday, he thought. Yes, but it is a happy day that for that Valenod who is condemning me. I am too closely guarded for Matilda to be able to save me as, Madame, as did Madame de Lavalette. So in three days, at this very hour, I shall know what to think about the great, perhaps. At that moment, he heard a cry and was recalled to events in this world. The women around him were sobbing. He saw that all faces were turned towards a little gallery perched in the top piece of a gothic pilaster. He learned later that this was where Matilda had hidden herself. As the cry was not repeated, they all turned back again to look at Julian, who the gendarmes were trying to move through the crowd. Try not to give that imbecile Velenod anything to laugh about, thought Julian. What a sanctimonious and self-satisfied air he had announcing the verdict that means the death penalty. Whereas that poor president of the Assize, even though he has been a judge for years, had a tear in his eye as he sentenced me. What joy for Velenod to get his revenge for our old rivalry over Mon- Madame de Renal. So I will never see her again. It is all done. Now a last farewell between us is impossible. I sense that. How happy I would have been to let her know of all the horror I feel for my crime. These words only, I find myself justly condemned. Alrighty. That's it. Justly condemned. I would agree. <laughs> have your... Oh, well, maybe not death penalty. I mean, that's a bit... Uh, you know antiquated but guilty yes guilty all right have your say at the Hemingway list subreddit thanks for listening I'll see you tomorrow